1: Today on the show, we discuss the evil bargain between heaven and hell in Doom Eternal and why it deserved to end. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Connor. And I'm Bruce. And this is our first kind of
0: episode together. That's right. (laughs) But we've actually known each other for uh, quite some time
1: before then, right? It's pretty trippy, yeah. It's like we're finally doing this even though we've been we've both been involved in lore party you for longer than me me for at least the last year or so and we're finally uh we're finally here we're finally doing it bruce and connor together (laughs) again for the first time (laughs) in effect (laughs) no it's great uh it feels good and it feels even better knowing that we're uh kicking off season seven of lore party with just a heater of of a game of a topic uh talking about doom eternal today i'm I'm psyched. I am super psyched. And
0: I think that this is going to be a very interesting season for both of us and both of our different perspectives, because I am a very new Doom fan because I kind of just started literally this year playing Doom 2016 and Mm -hmm. then Doom Eternal on release. Like I'm a, I'm a newbie. I'm a newbie Doomy. Is that what they, (laughs) is that what the kids call themselves? That's that's the
1: new official term. I'm, I'm calling it right now. That's the new official term. <laughs> newbie doomy? All right. Yeah, I'm and, fine with that. And you that's are a good. doom veteran. Uh, been there yes. since the 90s, right? I was kind of raised on it. It's it's crazy. First of all, let me say welcome. You're, you're you are. We're we're glad to have you. Thank in you. This circle. Um, but yeah, I was kind of I was kind of raised on it. Like I was. Uh, it's one of the first video games I played. Uh, my really cool uncle would show me old uh you know dos powered first person shooters on his computer including like the old wolfenstein and duke nukem games and of course uh doom and doom 2 which were uh you know at the time installed on floppy disks and so I, <laughs> oh man needless to say i took those home and you know booted up all 15 of them or however many there were to install doom Two my on my home computer oh, God. and uh yeah, I've been hooked ever since. I, I skipped a few entries. I didn't really ever play Doom Three. That's a bit of a departure for the series. Um, but yeah, I have definitely been on the Doom train. Big fan for most of my life. And yeah, when 16 came out, the reboot, I was, I was so excited to really just have a fresh take on the on the universe I love so much. And Eternal really kind of blew the scope out into just this unprecedented scale like we we had doom for a while and it was you know just a fun kind of it was there goofy it's, car- it's doom yeah right you know what it is you know what you're getting it's a goofy over-the-top kind of cartoonish you shoot demons in the face and that's all you do but 16 and especially eternal really uh kind of broadened the scale of the story the uh, the universe the world building and uh that's what we're here to talk about today yes we are yeah so doom eternal uh to say the least takes the conflict way beyond just an angry superhuman guy killing demons. Like it, it goes way deeper than that. And in doom eternal, we kind of get a sense of the demons themselves, what the realm of hell is all about. And the sort of counterpart to hell, a place called Erdak as below. So above exactly. Yes. There is a, there is a flip side to that coin. There is a dark mirror, of Well, I guess a brighter mirror, but as we'll <laughs> discuss it's actually still pretty dark and that's you know More or less the heaven allegory of the doom setting is erdak. It's the realm of the makers And that is makers of the why and don't you know, don't get it wrong <laughs> <laughs> And um, Yeah, the conflict between Hell and erdak and actually how that conflict becomes a bit of a partnership forms a, uh, a very key pillar of the, uh, the plot of Doom Eternal, and the Slayer, who you play as, gets caught in the middle. So we're here to discuss that. You know, at, on the surface, it may seem like, oh, hell, the Makers, Demons, Angels, they're going to be enemies. Not quite. Not, not <laughs> as we quite,
0: out. not quite at all. It starts to really unravel itself as you start to play more that these are not just diametrically opposed dimensions that you know congregate on earth this is almost kind of like a devil's pact that has been created uh that you see in these codex entries and in these um kind of conversations that you have with the con maker who is sort of like god or goddess or
1: god's wife it's a little unclear (laughs) a a very high-ranking angel at least some kind of some kind of leadership among the stand-ins for the higher power so to speak and you, you start to see how much the demons and the makers have in common and sort of the common purposes they share the common goals they share and as the slayer you don't really care about any of that you're just trying to save earth and so all of the complications in the political or sort of uh spiritual consequences be damned. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Everything <laughs> else is is second everything else to the slayer is secondary. no it doesn't matter, as long as he saves Earth. Um so that puts him into conflict with the makers. But we find out that throughout playing the game, we find out that hell, over the eons, over countless ages, has conquered and consumed an uncountable number of worlds and the slayer's version of earth is sort of the latest in a long line of planets to fall victim to hell but it goes deeper than that as we've alluded to um we'll get into that later at the same time while hell is consuming and you know taking over these other worlds as we talked about the parallel the sort of the mirror image we have erdak also going around and uh quote unquote uplifting some quote-unquote lesser races <laughs> sort of being that uh you know uh benevolent visitors from another world who have great wondrous gifts of technology and they share it with uh with the deserving and that's what happened to a race called the Argenta we learn about the Argenta and how they fit into the history of the Slayer the history of Erdak and Hell and they're a very incredible
0: civilization literally they really formed are. after this large spire goes through their planet and pretty much gives them all this strange superpower wraith ability uh, that actually is almost, again, pun, in- pun unintended, a godsend to uh, <laughs> the
1: plans of both Erdak and Hell. Right. When the Argenta meet the makers, they are gifted with, you know, technology and they become a dominant life form in the multiverse and they really claim their dominion. And, you know, they think, oh, we're finally ascending to greatness. But to Erdak, it's just, hey, we found some really useful puppets here. And that that dynamic of Erdak taking advantage of another race while hell also takes advantage of other races by eating them. uh, it's it's a balancing act that carries on for ages and ages and ages. And what we're getting into today is the question of, you know, how that balance really wasn't balanced at all. It wasn't sustainable, really. Uh, it couldn't last. And fact is, it shouldn't have lasted.
0: That, that's really the whole fact of the matter of all of that. It always right. just despicable, disgusting. But there was this this feeling that you got from all of it of just when you look at it, you know, looking at just even our own world and how the energy crisis in our planet is, it's just something that you look at and say that just can't be done forever.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a great point, Bruce. There are these systems that, you know, we, we in real life see as, Oh, it's always been done that way. So it kind of has to be done this way. We can't think of another way. Uh, But really when you, Drill into it. Drill into the details. It really shouldn't be done this way. And the system was in place for so long that, of course, the makers and the demons thought, "Well, this this is how it's always going to be. It's you know, it's working out great for us." But what they didn't count on was the Doomslayer. He was the uh, the wrench in the machine, so to speak. Just a big
0: giant adamantium wrench. <laughs> the
1: with, size with of blades a... and bullets flying out of it. The size of a missile right? You've never seen a bigger monkey wrench in the works. (laughs) Um, and what's really interesting is the Slayer didn't actually care about the balance. Everything that upset the quote unquote balance that, you know, occurred because of the, the Slayer's actions, it was all kind of after the fact, or it was beside the point. His whole goal was saving earth, but you know, that didn't, that's not what the makers wanted, but let's, let's get into what they actually did want. Um, you know to do that we'll have to take a closer look at that relationship between hell and urdak um, and it is a
0: very strange relationship i don't I, yes. I don't even know if it's contentious or not or if it's you know a, a convenience but there is an understanding between these two worlds and that right. their betterment and their advancement will be based
1: on their cooperation Yeah, cooperation doesn't seem like something the demons would ever be uh, proficient at. Yeah, at all. There's more to them than meets the eye. You may think like, oh, these are just bloodthirsty beasts. They just, you know, want to devour souls. They're driven by mindless hunger and nothing else. But as we see in not only Doom Eternal, but in the 2016 reboot, the demons and the dark lords of hell are capable of really long term thinking and kind of planning and making deals that benefit them. Uh, over the course of time. They dealt with Olivia Pierce from the UAC. They, They saw that she was useful. Normally, a demon might just, hey, human, eat her. But no, they thought she could be an instrument. She could open the way for us to invade Mars. On the flip side, the makers of Urdak may seem to be perfectly benevolent, and they just want to share the gift of their knowledge. But they're actually out for no one but themselves. Everything they do has an ulterior motive, just kind of like the demons of hell. There's always an ulterior motive. That Everything they do is to advance their position somehow. So they may seem very, very different, but the demons and the makers are actually kind of two peas in a pod there.
0: Yeah, but I, I,
1: would you say there's
0: a, some sort of
1: fundamental difference in their approach? I would say, yeah, definitely Hell is more aggressive. Uh, they're more the conquering type, and the Makers are a bit more the building alliance and uh, developing lo- loyalties type. But the end result is still uh, either keeping what they have, expanding what they have, or just maintaining their position by any means necessary. Um, but by its own nature, also like you mentioned, this this pact, it couldn't last forever. There's, there's no way it could keep going uh, until the end of time, because eventually, as we find out, and as actually happens, eventually hell would meet a world that couldn't be conquered. And Urdak would meet an individual it could not corrupt.
0: And that is the Doom Slayer, the Doom Slayer, Doom Guy. And he is the most important part of this, but also the direct result of this. This unsustainable system, this horrible cycle of viciousness and greed in part was ended by the Doomslayer, but was in its own way, the creator of the Doomslayer. Doomslayer was technically just a very, very lucky and angry individual (laughs) space Marine who was able to survive his uh, First ride through hell which we see is like the actual first original doom from 93 Mm. and he's taken in by the argenta people and as he's kind of adopted by them and showing his worth he's not the doom slayer yet that is like of myth and legend that doesn't happen until he is uh taken by seraphim uh which is like a defector of Erdak who actually fused the Doomslayer with that uh, Argent energy that has been, you know, fueling this terrible system for possibly eons now with a thing called uh, a divine machine. The divinity machine. Divinity machine. Mm -hmm. And this thing basically gave him... All of that energy in one quick giant burst, and that's sort of what drove him to be able to be this unstoppable force.
1: Right. So the Slayer is almost like a feedback loop of exactly. I love this dark pact. Yeah, he's like he's like what happens if the if the system goes on too long and starts producing anomalies or you know things you just didn't count on. And he's, like you said, a consequence of the system that ends up destroying the system. But what really, what, what really kicks it off, though, the real catalyst for that, is Urdak, uh, f- via hell, directly threatening the Slayer's homeworld, Earth. So there's like this proxy invasion of hell on Urdak's behalf, where Earth, Earth is being consumed, demons are prowling the streets, and humanity is on the brink of extinction. That gives the Slayer the motivation and kind of honestly the excuse he needs to just uh go ham and just tear ass through all of creation and to, he barely uh, needed one yeah he was, he was on a hair trigger to begin with he was like that's it that's what i need. let's go and he goes off he uh does whatever is necessary literally just no one can stand in his literally way he does cuts a swath through the entirety of several dimensions right (laughs) all to save humanity save earth and in the process as a byproduct put an end to this dark evil manipulative quote-unquote balance (laughs) I, i love using that word ironically balance uh in the process that's kind of what he does almost on accident. Like, he doesn't care if the balance is ended. And I think that's that's my favorite part about this, uh, is that he's not
0: being willed by some higher power. He's not, you know, some greater force in the universe saying, this is wrong, and I am holier than thou, and this cannot stand for much longer. It is literally just reaping what Erdak and the demons have sown so many millennia ago. Yeah.
1: He is the consequence of what they've done and he's ending all of their hard work just because he's doing what he, what naturally comes to him and he's doing what he needs to do.
0: (laughs) You make it sound like they're, you know, they're loading 16 tons back there and (laughs) breaking their back and coming home to their family and their children back from the (laughs) soul spire.
1: (laughs) You know, the demons and the makers they were just honest joe was just trying to you know make a make an honest buck feed their families no no they were they were assholes let's put it plainly demon
0: union has some pretty good benefits though i would say
1: <laughs> but now uh, you you mentioned the slayer doesn't have this attitude of i'm doing what's right and i'm putting a stop to this evil system he doesn't care i don't think he cares
0: what he's doing is right
1: I think he yeah. knows
0: that what he's doing is going to save people, but I think yeah, he lost that's all I, cares about. I think he lost morality a long time ago.
1: Or at least he he doesn't have that petty need to just justify his actions. He he doesn't feel the need to justify anything he does because he knows he's doing what he has to do. It just it just it's instinct to him. It is he, he's going he's just t- making a beeline towards the biggest threat in the room. And right. if you're so in the does. middle of it,
0: I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: You're getting turned into Pace. That's just what's going to happen to you. I'm sorry. The thing is, like, again, it's just
0: this kind of inevitability of it, because why would hell kneel before just one man? Why would Erdak and the con maker make this wide berth for this one man? And it's it's really, again, it's so poetic and so just ironic about all of this is that if they just swallowed their pride they would have been able to get out of this at least you know scot free or okay but
1: that also is right. what makes them them this was gonna happen right what's interesting is while he's doing this while he's on this crusade through doom eternal he's being told at every opportunity well particularly by the by the con maker but also by other characters that he's being told you shouldn't be doing this you're Upsetting the balance, they love to say that they're upsetting uh, this grand cosmic tapestry of creation. Like it's all foolish, going to be, mortal.
0: You know <laughs> not what you meddle in the affairs of. Wait, what are you? Oh no! Stop! Please. <laughs> what are you, what and are you doing? You're tearing my brains out! Oh God! Please stop! That's it. That's like,
1: the whole game. <laughs> he catches them monologuing and he guts them alive. But they they can't stop falling into this trope of that that classic sci-fi trope of you know not what you meddle in. But he does know he just doesn't care. And it, it's kind of a source of arrogance really, or it comes out of a place of arrogance where the makers are like, we are our creation. We can't comprehend a vision of existence where we're not the ones there pulling the strings. Like we just can't comprehend it. And so the idea that the Slayer would end you know, all of their designs, they're like that, that can't happen it it literally could
0: not be imagined in their heads that just one guy could be able to
1: do that right they're never going to stop and say
0: you know what you're right we'll leave earth alone like they're that's never going to happen you know what you made your case uh i'll talk it over and uh we will reconvene at a later (laughs) time i'll bring it up to the next uh committee uh hearing like there's uh, there's no diplomacy in you know such a high tier of this going on because this is They've never been challenged this way, so why would they right. care about one person, one mortal, just walking around
1: killing everything in sight? Right. I think it comes back to this theme of the slayer is there to upset, um, upset the rules. He's the, he's the game changer. He's just that guy in the leather jacket who doesn't play by your rules. He's the bad boy from across the tracks, and you know you can't pin him down.
0: And you know I think. There's a slayer in every kind of situation like this, in an unsustainable system that eventually there is going to be pressure building. Whether that's a, an unstoppable, divine, mortal made God going through entire armies of the damned with a sawed off shotgun mm. or you know the the world collapsing in on itself through the own hubris of man there's always someone or something that is the product of something gained through unscrupulous means that will come back to haunt you and i really like that as a theming for what doom 2016 and doom eternal have kind of done here whether it's uac whether it's Argenta or Erdak or hell. It's that doom guy is the cleaner. He comes in Mm -hmm. when everything is lost, when everything is just being abused and drained past the point of
1: sustainability. Right. He's, he's like the ultimate externality, the, the variable that you can't account for. He's, you know, he's, he just doesn't fit into that picture that, Burdak and hell have drawn out for each other and for themselves
0: okay we're going to take a quick break here but stick around we'll be right back hey everyone i'm abu and i'm leo and we're here to tell you about gom jabbar
1: our brand new podcast
0: all about dune
1: gom jabbar is your guide to frank herbert's massive sci-fi universe we'll be exploring the, the themes philosophies and characters found in everything from frank's iconic novels to the adaptations
0: on film and tv and here's the thing. We do spoiler-filled deep dives as well as introductory non-spoiler episodes. So there's something for everyone.
1: You know, look, Dune is complicated. There are crazy words like like Mintats, like Tleilaxu, and of course, Gom Jabbar.
0: Our goal is to help you understand these words and many more that we can't <laughs> pronounce.
1: It's a theme. Uh, so find Gom Jabbar on your favorite podcast platform. We can't wait to share our love of the Dune universe, and we'll see you on the golden path. I, I, would, I would say kind of one argument I'm trying to make here in this, on this topic in this episode is that in some ways, in some situations, might sort of makes right. Uh, since the Slayer is the only entity in the Doom Eternal setting who is both willing and able to stop the invasion of earth. He kind of has a moral imperative to do so. And all the other consequences that mostly just affect the makers and hell, that's not his problem. I think on some level he understands that. Of course we don't know cause he never speaks. He doesn't really vocalize anything <laughs> like that, but I think he, he probably acknowledges that and just puts it in the back of his mind says, all right, well I'm going to keep killing until I don't have to kill anymore. And that's it. And it's kind of like, He's the only one who can, so he has to. And the system can end, so it should end. It's almost like it's inevitable. We've, we've talked about inevitability yeah. a little bit today here, too. That kind of brings it back to that.
0: And I think that's something that we're going to be seeing a lot more as we delve and dive deeper into the lore of Doom. Is Inevitability is this kind of understanding that this is, as we've been talking before, Unstoppable forces and immovable objects. I think that's just going to be a constant theme that we'll be finding again and again and again because the Doom Slayer, Doom Guy is that guy, you know? He's just this guy who's here and it's not about it's not like Spec Ops the Line or any kind of like story where you have a lot of introspection um mm-hmm. wondering what you're doing is right. It is literally. There is something on the screen that is either blocking my path or trying to kill me, and I need to destroy it. Mm-hmm. and you see just the world react to you. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about Doom is how the world I believe it's not shaped by Doom Guy's actions, but it's reacting to doom Guy's presence, yeah. Definitely. You know, when you're growing up as a kid and your mom or your dad tells you like there's always gonna be someone out there bigger than you, taller than you, smarter than you, stronger than you. And Doom Guy is that. Yeah. He's that person who's going to beat you, who is that person, and they're always gonna beat you. And I like that he's kind of metaphorically that kind of
1: force. Yeah. That's what I love about this game. It's that power fantasy. It's makes you feel so alive.
0: Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.